Any of you grow up in a church in which uh, the people who stood up front and prayed, prayed in the King James kind of English? We praise thee, O God, for thy bountiful blessings upon us this day, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of people who pray that way do so because they're showing respect for God. That's a good thing. But I can remember hearing prayers like that as a kid and thinking that's how you're supposed to pray, right? And I didn't know how to talk like that. And so I sort of wondered, does God hear me if I just say, God, I pray to you today for all you've given me and just talked in a regular English language talk, okay? Because it seemed like everybody who really knew how to pray talked in a different way than I could talk. And maybe you know something about that. And sometimes we do get a little worried that if, if I don't have the right language to talk to God, then somehow God's not going to hear me. You've got to have this special voice or special posture, head bowed, eyes closed, whatever it is for you that you think you're supposed to do to be able to pray to God. Now the question is, is that true or not? Is there a certain posture that we're supposed to have to pray to God? Are there certain words that we're supposed to use to pray to God? And somehow, if we don't do it right, God's not going to hear us. God's not going to listen. And the more important question there is, what does the Bible say about that? What are the biblical answers to those questions? And today, I want us to think about that. We're in the fourth of a five-week series that I'm calling Dangerous Conversations. And we're thinking about how prayer can really transform our relationship with God and how it affects who we are. And so today, I want us to think about a big question, how should I pray? Now, maybe for some of us, that's the question we wanted answered at the very beginning of this series. And, and I dealt with some other questions, questions about things like, how does prayer change me? How does prayer change God? And so we turned a corner a little bit last week and began to think about how we talk to God and how that affects God. And really, as we talked through some of that, we began to realize that, well, there are no special words to use, that God hears us, that God just wants who we are, and we're going to expand on that a little bit more today, that there's not magical phrases that we have to use to get God's attention. In fact, if we look in Scripture, what we see a scriptural writer sort of condemning that way of praying. And we talked a little bit about the fact that the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to keep coming back to this, can sometimes be used as a model for us or a template for prayer. And so we thought about how we sometimes do that. Now here's the interesting thing. We sometimes turn to the Lord's Prayer as our, our model prayer. We, we repeat it. Most days I repeat the Lord's Prayer sometime during the day, okay? It's a good practice for me, not necessarily for everyone, but for me. And sometimes I use the Lord's Prayer as a model, sort of these are the things that Jesus prayed about. So I'm going to pray about similar things, and I think that can be good for us. But here's what I've noticed in Scripture. The Lord's Prayer that we find right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is teaching about prayer is not the only prayer in Scripture, is it? In fact, there are many many other prayers that we could look to in Scripture. Now, that's the one that Jesus gives us, but here's the other truth. It's not the only one that Jesus gives us. 
There are other prayers by Jesus. And certainly if we look at the whole, the vast array of prayers in Scripture, we find that there's an amazing variety as we come to prayer. If you look just in the book of Psalms, okay, 150 Psalms, none of them the same. And what we find is that in some Psalms, people are crying out to God, praising Him for who He is, sometimes praising God for what He's done, sometimes coming to God with a penitent heart, sort of bowing before God and admitting that they are failures and that they are sinners that God would take them back. Sometimes we have people coming to God and saying, God, why have you not acted already? God, what are you waiting for? God, when are you going to deliver me from all the things that are destroying me? We have this amazing variety of people coming to God and asking God for so many different things. And all of them have some element of a model for us. But as I said, even as we look at Jesus, we find a variety even in Jesus' prayers. The Lord's Prayer is a beautiful one that I take very seriously, but we could find others. And in fact, today, I want us to turn to John chapter 17, because there's a prayer there, sometimes called Jesus' high priestly prayer, a prayer that I think also speaks to something of how we should pray. As we come to John 17, what we find ourselves in is a long section of teaching that John records for us, the other gospel writers do not, that tells us what that Last Supper with the disciples was like. And Jesus spoke a lot in the midst of that meal. It's just before he's going to die. He's going to be arrested not long after they finish this meal. And then he's going to be taken before all the authorities, including Pilate, sentenced to death, taken to the cross, nailed there, die there, and then be buried. That's right in front of Jesus. It's just immediately in front of his future. So... What does Jesus teach in the midst of this? All kinds of things. Jesus, <clears throat> pray, Jesus teaches that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon these men because he's not going to be with them physically anymore. And so they're going to have the Spirit or the Advocate, the Counselor, sort of representing him with them. All kinds of things that you could look through and read all that Jesus teaches in this long section that if you've got a red-letter Bible, you will see is read for several chapters, Jesus' words. But in the midst of that, or really near the end of that, what we find is this amazing prayer that Jesus prays. We don't often look to this one as a model, but I think it can serve us as one. Not necessarily these are the things that Jesus prayed for, but this is the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed. We're just going to read little snippets of it because it's pretty long. But I want us to hear what Jesus prayed about, because in this prayer, Jesus lays out his heart to God. At the beginning, John chapter 17, beginning in verse, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Did Jesus bow his head? Apparently not, did he? We, th we think that's what we're supposed to do. I think it's a good thing. It shows reverence for God. But in this moment, that's not what Jesus did. He looked up and talked to God. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So who is Jesus praying for? At first, at the beginning, he's praying for himself. It's time for him to glorify God. How is he going to glorify God? He's going to glorify him on the cross. And that seems a strange way to us to bring glory to God, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's defeat. That's death. 
And yet because Jesus offered himself voluntarily on the cross, this was a way of fulfilling God's will, fulfilling God's call on the life that he had on earth to die for the sins of humanity. And he's saying, God, go with me into that. And then he says, he begins to pray for others, right? Those who who will believe because of this and will bring salvation. So Jesus' prayer goes back and forth. We begin to see Jesus just laying out, these are the thoughts on his heart as he's preparing to die. God, I want you to be glorified. I want people to have salvation because they believe in me. And then he continues. We can drop down to verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, who's he talking about? Let's pause there for a second and establish that. First, he prays for himself. Then Jesus prays for the men who are sitting around him. Who's that? The apostles. These would be the men who would go out and begin to share the message that he was leaving behind with them, the message of the cross, the message of resurrection, forgiveness and eternal life. They would share it in Jerusalem, as Acts tells us, in Judea, the larger area, in Samaria. It goes to the ends of the earth. These guys would do just that, and so he's praying for them that they would have what they need. And then verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas. Jesus has promised in this teaching at the end of John that they will receive the Holy Spirit. And they would need the Holy Spirit. They would need God's presence among them. And now he's saying, listen, I'm the one who's been here. I'm the one who's protected these men. I've stood beside these men. I've been the one who's been there to teach them and show them the way. And there were dangerous moments in the midst of his ministry, times when people were threatening him. It was going to be difficult then, and it would be difficult for his disciples after he was gone. And much like a, almost like a mother hen, Jesus is gathering these men to him. And then he's praying to God that God would bring protection to them and that protection is no longer going to come from him standing among them physically present, but from the Spirit of God, the counselor or advocate, the comforter it's called in the Gospel of John. He prays for these men that they would have God's protection over them as they fulfilled the mission that God had given them. And then we drop down and Jesus is now praying for someone else. He prays for us. Listen to what he says, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Who is them? The apostles, okay. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is so much in those two verses. Jesus says, I'm not just praying for myself, preparing to die. I'm not just praying for these men who surround me who are going to share the message, but for everyone who believes because they have shared the message. For everyone who believes because they hear what these men say. Well, how do we know about Jesus? We know because those men went out and began to teach. And we know because two of those men wrote it down. Two of our Gospels are written by men 
who were sitting there with Jesus. And we know what Jesus did in part because those men have told us. So who's Jesus praying for in John chapter 17, 20, and 21? Us. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, prayed for you. And he prayed that we, all of his followers, would be one. He wanted unity among the believers of Jesus Christ. He wanted us to be united in our mission and our faith and our baptism and our hope and in eternal life. God wanted, uh, Jesus wanted us to be one. Now, why did he want that? Well, number one, it's good for the church, right? I mean, if, if we're one, we're going to get along a lot better. This is going to be more pleasant. Worship's going to be a different experience. Serving together is going to be a different experience. We want to be united, not only as one church, but with Christians across the globe. And we do that through missions and other work where we're partnering with other Christians to share the message of Jesus. But you see, that's just the key. Jesus says, May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's unity for the sake of mission. It's not just so we all like each other. It's not just so we all enjoy being together. It's because we have something to do. We have not been given the gift of the church for us to just enjoy. We've been given the gift of the church because the church has a mission. We've been called to do something, to go. Why? so that the world may believe. It's the word that faith comes from. So the world will believe in Jesus Christ. If we are one, we will be so much more effective in fulfilling the mission that God has set before us than if we sort of think we can do this on our own or think that we can do this even though we in the church can't get along. How in the world will the world be attracted to Jesus Christ if his followers can't work together. So what did Jesus pray for us? He's praying that we would have exactly what we need to fulfill the mission that he gave us. Okay, those are just snippets from this prayer. I encourage you to read all of chapter 17 of John this afternoon. Look through there. Hear what Jesus is praying about. But here's what I notice as I read through John 17, especially some of the things that we've read today. The Lord's Prayer, if we go back to that, is poetic, okay? I mean, it's structured, it's a beautifully worded prayer, and this one is beautiful too, but not in the same way, okay? What I hear Jesus doing in John 17 is coming before God. He's part of God, three in one, Trinity, all that that's hard for us to understand, but Jesus prayed anyway. He's praying aloud with these men around him, and he's just pouring his heart out. It is not structured. It is not worded as carefully as the Lord's Prayer. What we have is Jesus, the Son of God, in human form, just about to die. And we know from the stories of the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus' heart is troubled with this. He's overwhelmed with the emotion of what he's facing, of dying and carrying the sins of humanity with him to that cross and facing death. 
We know Jesus is emotional about all of that. And so what we have is this emotion-filled Jesus pouring his heart out with his disciples to God. And there's a great beauty in that. And what this prayer teaches me is not so much, hey, here's a structure that you can use for prayer or a model that you could use for prayer. You could approach it that way. There'd be nothing wrong with that. But what it teaches me is that if it was good enough for Jesus, if Jesus could pray this prayer, which for me, above all else, just pours out the concerns of his heart on the eve of his death, then that's a pretty good way for me to approach prayer as well. Sometimes prayer is structured. Sometimes it's prepared. Sometimes it might even be poetic. And that's okay. But sometimes what prayer is, is you or me just pouring out the emotion, the joy, the pain, the questions, the anxiety, the things that are troubling us, and just laying them before this God who created us. And that is prayer just as much as a rehearsed prayer that might have these and thous or might not. So here's the lesson that I want us to hear from this prayer. Be yourself with God. The question was, how should I pray? The answer is not, you've got to bow your head, you've got to stand up, you've got to look to heaven, you've got to use this word, you've got to pray in this structure, you've got to do these things with these words. We're not going to come up with that because, script, uh, because prayer is richer and fuller than that if we look through scripture. What we find is be yourself with God. You say, but I'm flawed. Yeah, that's right, you are, so am I. God already knows that. You're not going to trick him into thinking you're not. God wants you. God wants you in prayer. He doesn't want a rehearsed you. He doesn't want a prepared you. God wants you. And maybe today your heart is overflowing with thanksgiving to God and you just want to praise him for who he is. That's awesome. Maybe today you came to church and your heart is troubled. Maybe you even thought about not coming today because you've got so much on your heart and you weren't sure you wanted to face people. God wants that too. Maybe you feel guilty today. God wants that too. Maybe you're excited about something that's going on this week and you're just hoping God will be present in the middle of it because you need his help. God wants that too. Just be yourself with this God who created you and knows everything you've done and everything about you already. We're not going to trick him. How do you pray? Be yourself with God. Prayer is pouring ourselves out before God. I see that's what Jesus did in this prayer. He just poured out everything that was on his heart and his mind. You know, our language and our posture Sometimes that's more about us than it is God. And it may help us. Maybe it helps you to bow your head. Maybe it helps you to kneel down. Maybe it helps you to stand up and look toward heaven. I don't know that God really cares. But maybe that changes how you feel in prayer. And that's okay. Use the prayer posture that helps you the most. And maybe you feel better about prayer if you pray with these and thous. That's fine. Have at it. Maybe it makes you better, maybe you do better if you 
don't really use that many words at all. You just lay out names and, and you lay out feelings and you lay out joy and struggle. Maybe that's the best way for you to pray. That's okay too. Be yourself with God. What God wants is your heart, your soul. And when we're giving everything to Him, we're just praying. We're just taking it to Him. Next week, we're going to talk about how we pray. And we'll finish up with that. How do we pray together? But today, it's about us as individuals. So even though we're together, I want to spend a few minutes in prayer. You've got a card in your bulletin that looks like this. I'd like us to do a little something different at the end of the message today, to approach this in a different way. I'd like for us to take a few minutes and pray. We're going to pray silently, and, and I've given you some suggestions to, to talk to God. Maybe this will spur some thinking. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe you've got plenty on your mind already today, but if you need a little bit of guidance, we're going to spend just three or four minutes praying, and uh, our musicians are going to come and, and, um, and play quiet, quietly as we uh, pray as well. But what I want to do is begin this standing, so you can stay seated for the moment, but in a minute we're going to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have silence for a few minutes. And here's, this is where it'll be a little different, okay? After we've done that, I'll be quiet, and you can sit down if you want to. You can stay standing if you want to. You can close your eyes. You can look down. You can come up here if you want to kneel at the front pew or at the, down here on the steps. That's fine. If you know somebody's in the room and you need to go and put your arm around them and just silently pray with them, that's okay too. There's a little freedom here, all right? Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay, all right? So let me ask Shelby to come on in and she can play for us. But let's stand together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. You can use the card. You can talk to God. Just be yourself with God. Let's pray together. Dear big God, bigger than we sometimes even recognize. A big God who knew who we would be even if Jesus prayed this prayer 2,000 years ago. So God, we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that you want us to talk to you. Thankful that you listen. And so God, right now, we're going to take a few minutes. And as a church, we're going to pray. In Jesus' name.